This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little under the weather after Toronto. Probably something about being at Hang a on. fan fest with a bunch of people and at <laughs> bars. A lot of people. <laughs> but I'm all right. And then airplanes with a lot, of, a lot of people. Uh, yep, exactly. Unfortunately, I only got to see you for, what, like a cozy 10 minutes on Friday. But it's always good to catch up face-to-face again and congratulate you on uh, on on your new child. We still haven't determined whether she's a left-hand shot or right-hand shot, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, so you got you got the sniffles. Uh, we, I mean, it, it already seems, it's, it's funny, too, because it's only been a couple of days since All-Star Weekend, and already it feels like it was a, a, million, a million years ago. Uh, and there's a lot to get into, including your latest at ESPN.com, and you know how much I love these things. I love them. I wish we would do them every month. I think we're on the same page. The mid-season awards, just because it drives people crazy. What do you mean you're handing out awards? Now, I'll hand out awards every night if you uh, if you let me do it. Um, what were your takeaways from uh, from All-Star Weekend? Anything major? Anything in a, in a minor key, major key? Your, your choice. I, I just, I didn't think we'd get an Olympic announcement. I was pleasantly surprised. You know, like I, I knew that Mm-hmm. They were pushing towards it. I knew that there was forward momentum towards it. I knew that the NHLPA was really engaged in trying to make it happen. You know, when Marty Walsh went around to all the players for the first time to meet them, I asked them, I'm like, what was the thing they all said? What was their top issue? And it was international play. So he was sort of deputized by yeah. the players to get this thing done. I think he helped get everybody to the table. Um, and then obviously the NHL heard enough uh, to... Uh, make this thing happen and and the difference is I, I know there's a lot of skeptics out there as far as like well they're just gonna pull the rug out from under us again I mean like you had American players that were being fitted for their Ralph Lauren suits for Beijing uh, and then like a month yeah. later we're told they weren't going the difference obviously this time being that we we hopefully aren't in the midst of a pandemic and then also the mm-hmm. Olympics are part of a larger international schedule that will make the NHL money, which is really the bigger, the biggest issue. Well, you know, one of the things that, um, yes, and you and I talked about this on the old podcast all the time, you know, going back to the 0405 lockouts, even pre MVSW, um, the hue and cry was for a consistent, robust international schedule. Yep. And I know like seasons get going and everybody's very busy. Um, and then another lockout happened <laughs> along the way as well. Um, and then to your point, you know, COVID happened and, and putting together uh, a consistent international schedule never really happened. But the fact that they have for this four nations face off, and I know it's come under a lot of scrutiny from, you know, whether it's fans, whether it's players themselves, David Pasternak being the, the, the most recent, I understand this come under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of eyeballs raising. It's only four teams, Sweden and Finland, Canada, U S it seems to me as if this is the NHL saying like, look, let's just get this started. It's not going to be perfect at first. As a matter of fact, it's going to be far from perfect. A lot of really good athletes that aren't going to compete in this, but we just want to get this thing going. Like, this, does that Four Nations face-off coupled with the announcement of the Olympics say to you that maybe finally, for the first time in, I got to say, NHL history, there will be a robust and consistent um, schedule of international play, the likes of which this league has not seen before. Yeah, because they they know inherently that it, they want to do a thing where they do a World Cup every 
two years and then the Olympics the other two years. Like, that's the schedule yeah. they want. They, they know they, they're pretty confident it could be su successful. They're pretty confident it could make them money. One will feed into the other. One will promote the other. And that's how you balance out lending all of your assets to another business so they can make money off of it and you can hardly get any benefit from it. Um, you know, I, I, I understand the problem with the, the four nations face off. And I understand, you know, it, it sucks to not have Pasternak, Dreisaitl, any, any number of players involved in that, that, uh, that event. But, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, the Russia situation is the Russia situation. And if, if the Russia, if it was a, a, a but attempt me, at a world, me, me, if it was a ball, but if it was that. an attempt at a World let, Cup and they yeah. had some facsimile of a Russian team, then you wouldn't have Sweden and Finland. Let me let me let me pause on that for one second because this one has sort of popped up too, um, and you know there are, there's a conspiracy out theory out there that Nikita Kucherov did what he did as a reflection of the omission of Russia from this four nations face-off. Okay, come on, is hang it really? on. Uh, you you have you haven't heard that. You haven't heard that. Well, no, but I'm not in Canada, so there, it's possible that that's the reason why. No, <laughs> I, I figured that he but did this that is, because okay. he hates having to Here, do passing drills like everybody else in that in the skills competition. Do you see how disheartened uh, Barzell was <laughs> when he kept missing the, the damn mini nets? Like once you start missing yeah, your targets the first three or four times, of course you're going to become disengaged. But uh, given this isn't a double IHF event, this is an NHL production here, and there are Russian athletes playing on NHL teams, the sort of deliberate omission of Russia from this four nations face-off, I think a lot of people kind of look at and go, huh? Like, I understand, we all understand the international landscape. That is an, that is an obvious one. But this one is just an NHL production. And they allow Russian players to play on every single team. 32 teams with Russian athletes on them. Is there not an incongruity there? Is there not a sort of disconnect? You know, is there not a point there if you're, a, if you're a Russian player saying, hold on a second here, so I can play with the Washington Capitals, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Detroit Red Wings, but I can't play in this tournament? The only reason they're doing this tournament is, is because they can't put the Russians in the World Cup right now. Like it, it, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think it's a, it's kind of a fallacy because this tournament wouldn't exist if they could put the Russians in the World Cup. So if they can't put the Russians in the World mm -hmm. Cup, why would they put the Russians in this tournament that exists because they can't put the Russians in the World Cup? All right. Uh, let me move off that. Page. I don't want to get too, too sidetracked to this. I don't want to spend too much oxygen on it. But a couple of things from from All Star that I want to that, that I want to get your thoughts on. Um, one. Here's the other theory that's out there. Um, there was some conversation at some, I guess, players, I suppose, where I don't want to say miffed, I don't want to say pissed off, but were, I don't know, maybe I will say miffed and, and, and pissed off, that Team Matthews in that final game was going too hard, and that wasn't the all-star code. Whether, whether it was Matthews with that, you see that rocket that Matthews shot? Uh -huh. Or you know, there's you, you mean you you know the 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 handshake deal that everybody has at these all star games. Like, okay, if a guy's on a breakaway, give him the breakaway. We're not back checking. You can shoot, but just don't you know fire laser beams at goaltenders <laughs> like Matthews did. Um, anything jump out at you from the games themselves? Which I thought, by the way, were as far as all star standards go, I thought those games were really good. 
they were all competitive. And and look, you had two games go to shootouts. That you know, it wasn't twenty minutes of of hardcore action, but like they were clearly trying. Kale McCarr blocked a shot. Like you know, it's it, yeah. The idea thinking, that guy? the Matthews team was going hard. I mean, and anybody who watched the McDavid team for the last ninety seconds of their game, or watched McKinnon. Oh yeah. In the in the entirety of his game, I mean, it's not as if there weren't other people trying and, and maybe playing above the standard that we usually uh, want from the All-Star game. I'll give you something that I was I was intrigued by. So when you were talking about players complaining, I thought you were going to go to the Sebastian Ajo lament about being left out of the 12 players who competed for the million dollars in the skills competition. And the NHL has a conundrum on their hands because I truly believe that the limited field and skills competition led to it being a better event than it usually is. I, I was entertained by it. I think they need to up the razzle-dazzle mm-hmm. a little bit, and they'll get, then they'll have the right mix. But from a fundamental, compelling competition standpoint, limiting the field and having all those guys compete against each other, 12 guys, made it better. Problem being is that there are 32 teams in the National Hockey League. If you limit it to 12... Yeah. You are undoubtedly limiting the number of markets They're... that are going to care about it, and and I'll, I'll, it probably wasn't impactful in Canada, where you had Canucks and and, and Leafs populating the event, and and obviously an, an Oiler or two, but it certainly was impactful yeah. in the U.S. as far as like viewership, where you don't have a Ranger, and you don't have a Red Wing, and uh, well, you know, th- and and I know I know what you're going to say, but like you understand what I'm saying, like. If they do it again and they limit it to 12, you, you, in a perfect world, we're all watching stars. In a perfect world, when our team mm-hmm. is eliminated from the playoffs, we're still watching the playoffs because we are hockey fans who want to see the star players and want to see star teams. But it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's tribalism. It's always been tribalism. And the limited field for the skills competition, I think, does not address the tribalism and in fact may have hurted the hurt the may have hurt the appeal of the event here in the US. If you're going to do it with more participants, I think you need to have fewer events. Even with the 12, based on the events that they had, the one one of the criticisms that I think a lot of people had about it was it went on a tad too long. That was a little that was a pretty lengthy uh, lengthy skills competition. You know, the first text that I got about Nikita Kucherov was how would you I can't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing I can go look it up on my phone if I if I had more time um, someone sent me a text saying how would you feel right now if you were uh, Sebastian Ajo Kirill Kaprizov Mitch Marner Rasmus Dahlin and you're watching this guy do this as you're sitting uh, on the sidelines saying I wouldn't do that I'd try to win a million bucks <coughs> I mean, I'm sure they they felt that way, but it's not as if the NHL knew that that's what Kucherov was going to do. Maybe I mean, okay. I don't know. Like, okay. I, that's the okay. assumption. Pause on right. that for maybe, pause maybe on that. Do. I don't know. Pause on maybe that for one second. Take part in it. Pause yeah, on ahead. that. Pause on that for one second. Now that Kucherov has done that, does he ever get invited to the skills competition again? Can you take that chance if you're the NHL? Now he is one of the most wildly skilled players in the entire NHL. 
He's like he's the guy. Like you know that there are players. Like we all look at Connor McDavid and go like his skills are so obvious. Or like everybody knows like how great Connor McDavid is. The thing about Kucherov is he has skills that are obvious, certainly, but he also has skills that all the players go like, man, I love watching this guy. Like players right. love watching Kucherov's game. Like he's like the players play. If, if you look at like you know, any elite player and they say, which guy do you admire? Just like in a previous generation, they used to all, you know, fall over themselves about Pavel Datsuk and say, oh, I wish I could do that, setting traps and art of deception and all those types of They see the same thing about Kucherov. So A, he belongs there. B, players love him. He has elite skills. Some are obvious, some are, are hidden that only the elite can recognize. What do you do with him in the skills competition? He belongs there. He should be there. But will he ever be there again? Can the NHL take that chance? No, he should never be in the skills competition again. <laughs> he, he dogged it to the point where I John Boucher he never calls out anybody, called him out in the air. That being said, yeah. you're, ignoring, you're ignoring Saturday where the showman came out for Kucherov. <laughs> <laughs> and he's egging on the crowd, and he did he did play well in the in the All Star games themselves. Again, I don't think it he has did. anything to do with Russia or nothing. Like, I just think he, he he didn't get off to a good start in the event, and he just didn't care, and he dogged it. I think we've all been there where you start something sure. and it falls apart early, but you have to go through the entire process of it, and you say, "Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm half-assing this thing. <laughs> I just want to get through it." Um, that was Kucherov uh, on yeah. Saturday. Exactly. Um, okay, I want to go through. Do you have anything else from All Star? Because I really want to go through your list here because I love this. I um, love this stuff. You know, I I don't think people really understand. Oh, by the way, what? Go ahead. Uh, by the way, I, I knew other than, you know, cutaways and, you know, where her brother plays, I didn't know much about Tate McRae, but that performance was outstanding. Yeah. That performance was on awesome. Saturday I thought was The thought celebrity was element at the event was great. I mean, like, Will Arnett's a true hockey fan, and um, yep. Bieber, the Bieber of it all on Saturday was a lot of fun, and Buble was on Mushrooms. Yep. So, like, it was, it was a good time. The only Come other on. takeaway for me is just I don't think people understand <laughs> how – busy it was like not only with the the throngs of hockey fans in can and in toronto going to like the fan fest and every building in downtown toronto having like some all-star thing going on but like because yeah. there's home ice advantage for the media in the center of the hockey universe there was just tons and tons of people at the all-star game that aren't usually there and it was good to see some of the, my mm. friends that I haven't seen in a while, like Bruce Arthur, people like that who don't necessarily travel mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, West Palm Beach for the All-Star game. Um, you know, part of it obviously was that they knew there was going to be some news there with the Hockey Canada stuff and international play and everything else. But it was also just like holding the All-Star game where the media is really made for a, a very busy time, but, but also a rewarding time because I think the coverage was really good was excellent. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, I really did. Like you, you have to, I have to squint really hard to find a lot of faults uh, with this All-Star Weekend. Okay, so I love when you do this, Greg. ESPN.com, uh, Greg's latest piece, awarding trophies at the halfway <clears throat> mark of the season. All-Star now, hold on. Done. Now, hold on. Let's, so let's, let's, let's get trophies. this. Ho- Merrick, let's get this right. So we do do this every okay. month. And what we do is we ask oh, the I actual know. voters for the awards for their ballots. So the names you see here are not ones I'm picking out of a hat or off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. These are the people 
that are receiving first place, first place votes for these awards from a few dozen of the writers at this point in the season. So, you know, I, there are other awards watches where people are kind of like speculating or like, you know, someone's using their computer algorithm for whatever. But this is actually what the voters think, and that's why I like doing it each month. There is one that I absolutely love, and it's one of my favorite conversations to have. Can you guess which one it is? Is it Connor Bedard losing his lead in the Calder? No, it is not Connor Bedard losing his lead in the Calder, although I do think that Alex Vlasic needs to get a little bit more love there. But nonetheless, that's for a conversation for another day. <laughs> There's another one that I absolutely love here. What's that? Connor Hellebuck. MVP. Should a goalie win MVP? Yeah. yeah, I think a goalie. I think a goalie should win MVP every year. I know there's a lot of rah, 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 about like goalies have their own trophy. Grumble, 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 grumble. But there's nothing like again. I I always shake my head at people who look at the definitions of trophies and then come up with their own definitions and decide that their own definitions are more important than the definitions that are laid out that everybody's supposed to follow. Mm. Like by definition, and given the nature of the position, I've always maintained a goalie should win the Hart Trophy every year, every single season. So I was my uh, my heart was very warmed mm -hmm. to see as much as Nathan McKinnon is leading. And again, if you put a gun to my head right now and say pick one, I'm going to go with Nathan McKinnon. But I will always try to have a goaltender in the finalists, in the top three, if not the top five. Very happy to see not just Nikita Kucherov as a finalist, but also Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets. I absolutely love that wish. Kucherov is 31 points ahead of Braden Point, by the way, on the Lightning right now. Like, mm. I, I Listen, I think McKinnon is going to win and should win. It's a very interesting case for Kucherov to be made considering how much adversity the Lightning have had this year. The Hellebuck thing is interesting, and I, and I agree with you on the goalies only because I think that too often they get strikes against them f because people do think it's sort of a default setting for MVP to say the goalie is the most important player and hence is the most valuable player. I think in Hellebuck's case, the case is going to be workload. Like he got, he's got two things going for them. One is that the Jets, yeah, by and large, are credited with being one of the best defensive teams in the league, and he is the backbone for that defense. And the second thing is he plays like every night, and so he's going to have yep. a pretty robust number of starts by the end of the season, to which you can point to and say, okay, this isn't simply just a guy in a tandem playing well. This is a starter. He's got you know sixty-five plus starts or whatever it's going to end up being. Um, you could make the case that he is the reason where the Jets are. Now, I'm mm -hmm. not particularly... Um, I, I, do, I think the Jets have more going for them than Hellebuck. Um, but I do think that if you're going to say it's the defense that makes the Jets special, well, he's the most important yeah. defensive player on the team. You know, just as an aside, I don't think we've ever had this conversation. What would it take for a goaltender to win the, win the Lady Bang? We have had this conversation because we, nothing, were, we were trying to rally for nothing, Flurry at one no, point to win it. Oh, is that what we were doing? Okay, I'm going to do that again then. Marc-Andre Flurry for Lady Bing. 
Last year, last year you give it to him for maybe finally trying to to step up to the bully Jordan Bennington to finally get to finally give him like <laughs> give him the fight that he's craved for so long. Even though you might say like, well, how is fighting going to get someone the Lady Bing? Well, you know what? He was trying to beat up the the schoolyard bully, so maybe that's why you give it to Mark Andre Fleury. But I will stump for Mark Andre Fleury again just to give him something in what might be his final season and juicy game coming up Friday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, I'll I'll stump again for Mark Andre Fleury and the Lady Bing Award. So two things about the awards watch. One, like I mentioned, Bedard's been caught by Faber, <laughs> which has been really interesting yeah. for me to see that race change. You now Faber was getting some love even before Bedard's injury, but Connor Bedard was a unanimous True. choice in the NHL awards watch for consecutive months, and now he's fifty-fifty with Brock Faber. Does that change when he gets healthy, Merrick, or is the work rate yes ultimately so, going to subvert him? Yeah. I think when it comes to, because players have done this before, and I think of Sidney Crosby and the Hart Trophy a number, a number of years ago, like back when we were doing the pod. But I think one of those first seasons we did the podcast. Um, I always think that injuries when it comes to awards are a matter of timing mm. more than anything else. Like if an, if, a, if an injury comes at the end of a season, right before the voters vote, then it'll hurt that player. But... If an injury happens early in the season and you see the player come back and you see the comeback story, as long as they're healthy right to the very end of the season and have enough runway, that tends to affect the voter's mind as opposed to the injury happening at the end of the season. Oh, they couldn't complete the whole year. Even though the games may be the same, oh, they couldn't finish the season. That's going to hurt them come voting time. Call that recency bias. We all know the expressions that that you use for these types of things. But with Connor Bedard, well, first of all, he was on the ice a week after the injury. Mm-hmm. Like this guy is, as you can tell, dying to come back. I love that the NHL had him at All Star, finding something for him to do, even just you know feathering passes for one time, just something, just get him on the ice, get him in front of cameras, get him you know meeting sponsors and kids and all of that because he's going to be in the All Star game for the next fifteen years. But I, I think that. Connor Bedard comes back, starts filling the net because nobody else can score in Chicago, as we've seen. I think that that would be a compelling enough story for people to look at that and say, you know what? He's deserved the Calder Trophy all along. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think? I, I don't I don't disagree. Um, I do think, like you said, though, <clears throat> sorry, that there's going to be other options um, beyond the big two. But none of them might rise up to topping Bedard. Now, the other one I found interesting, and the writers don't vote for the Jack Adams, that's the broadcasters. Like, yep. does Rick Tockett deserve the Jack Adams? Absolutely. Like, the Canucks are, you know, at the top of the conference. They're playing outstanding hockey. Um, I think their health and the return of Thatcher Demko to being Thatcher Demko, probably the two biggest factors for me why they are where they are. That being said, does he deserve it more than John Tortorella at this point? Or, and I think oh. Rick, Bonus, Rick Bonus you have in here as a finalist as well, or uh-huh. or uh-huh. what about Chris Knobloch? Yeah, that's the one that I found really interesting. Like, there wasn't a single person who mentioned Knobloch in our, our They just our had a 16-game 
16-game winning streak. They've completely turned it around. We talked about the Oilers being a lottery team at the beginning of the season. Elliot and I sat down with Leon and, and Connor, and Connor said at the beginning of the season, it felt like we didn't know how to play hockey anymore. That's mm-hmm. how bad it is. They're tucked into a playoff spot. Like, not only have they got to the play, they're in a playoff spot. They get five games in hand over the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, good chance they're going to catch them for second and get home ice advantage in the opening round against the Vegas Golden Knights. And... Sure. Not a whisper. Not a whisper. No, the coach. Nothing. Nothing. I think that's going to change. Like the this week was the first time you started to really hear about the Edmonton defensive system and the changes they made, and you know Bruce Cassidy saying, "Oh, hey, they're kind of playing the same way we do." Like I feel like the we'll we'll hear more about Knobloch as a as coach of the year now that there's a better understanding from people that it's not just Connor popping off or. Skinner finally getting a save. Like, there's more going on under, under the hood for there the is. Oilers at this point. And I think Knobloch and... T- Listen, I'm more than happy to admit when I'm wrong. And maybe Paul Coffey was more than simply just a hall monitor for the owner. Because there's no doubt that Paul Coffey and, and Knobloch together have made this team a much better yeah. defensive team. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Bruce Cassidy saying, you know, they're playing like us. There were, I, I talked to someone at the beginning of the year in the organization and said, like, you know, what was the plan coming into the season? And, like, the answer here is going to be, like, well, obviously dummy. Um, but he said, like, look, the two teams that we tried to borrow from the most were last year's Boston Bruins and last year's Vegas Golden Knights. And we tried mm-hmm. to do a lot of the things that those teams did. And the thing about it is, like, not every team can do that because you don't have the personnel. But he said, we do. Like, when we're healthy, we have the personnel to play like the Bruins did last year, like the Vegas Golden Knights did. Now, are they going to defend like the, the Vegas Golden Knights did last season? I don't think they have the anywhere near the same horses that Vegas mm-hmm. has on the on the back end. But last time I checked, uh, Evan Bouchard's really, really good. Uh, Matthias Ekholm is really, really good. Like, I still think that they're, you know, one right-hand shot defenseman away from maybe having a Stanley Cup defense. But I think that, you know, now with this coach, and we saw this over the winning streak here, like, and my big takeaway was this is a team that now looks like they know how to defend. I think Knobloch's done a great job. I mean, the, the, the elite-level chances they were surrendering in front of the Nets have vanished. They've mm. gone away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, I, I'm with you. Like, I think that now that people are starting to understand that the Oilers have more of a defensive slant to it and can play that game, I think Knobloch's going to get a lot more love. I was kind of surprised that there weren't any votes. Yeah, me too. I'm really, really surprised don't, at that. Don't you think that outside of Calgary, Vegas was the worst the, the, the worst team for them to lose their streak against? No. I think the opposite. Tell I'm me glad why. You mentioned, I'm so glad you mentioned that because this adds another layer to what's going to be the opening round of the playoffs. Opening round of the playoffs is going to be Edmonton and Vegas. Now, I know everybody in Vancouver gets a little bit squirrely when you say they're going to do something, but Vancouver's going to win the division. Okay, At least Vancouver's going to win the division. They are just too freaking good. They're awesome. They're going to win that division. Calm down, Vancouver Canucks fans. I know you hate predictions like this because you've had the rug pulled under and false started so many times. I get it, but you're going to win the division, okay? You're going to win the division. Pacific is yours. Yeah. Now, it's going to be Vegas and Edmonton in the first round. And whether it is the playoff series last year or now, the Vegas Golden Knights stopping the streak all of a sudden. Like I'm like you. Like I don't cheer for teams. I cheer for storylines. All of a sudden, we have another layer here because if it's Anaheim that beats them, 
to end the streak, that goes nowhere. But you have <laughs> Vegas, who Edmonton's going to face off. Like, like, you can't extend the story if it's Anaheim, Wish You can't. There's no extension. It's like, hey, how about that? That's nifty. Mason McTavish with four goals, and the Anaheim Ducks knock off the Edmonton Oilers, and the streak is over. But now, all of a sudden, we have another sidebar to all of this. And I thought it was, you know, one of the things that was really interesting in this interview that we did with Leon and Connor on Friday, and that's the, I came out of that interview, I think I saw you right away, and we, we, we talked about a couple of different things, most notably the trades and the firings. But the, one of the questions that we asked was, which team do you like to beat the most? And the one team that they both, and I think it was deliberate, because they knew they, they knew they were playing them coming out of the break. The one team that they didn't mention and I think it's because they didn't want to give him any extra fuel, was Vegas. Mm. Mm-hmm. But you know that coming off last year's playoffs, the one team that they would love to beat and the one team they love beating are the Vegas Golden Knights. I yeah, think it was they, the perfect team from a storyline point of view for them to lose to because yeah, they're going to meet in the first round. Right, from a storyline, from a narrative perspective. But doesn't it just reinforce that when the games matter, they can't beat Vegas? Like They've, they've done well against Vegas the regular season. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But they didn't yeah. do well against them in That's the playoffs. That's great. And when and when push came That's to shove, in what was essentially a playoff game last night, based on the pace and based on what all the players were saying, they came up short against a yeah. team that was missing some pretty key players. So that's not good psychologically, yeah, is it? That's great. Why is it great? No, it's great because now because now now Connor McDavid is in an underdog position, and Leon Draisaitl is in an underdog position. You're a pro wrestling guy. You know this story. You know how this story plays out. You can't beat him, Rocky. You can't beat him, Rocky. To me, it's it's the it's the best team to lose to. Honestly, I really think this because they're headed for a showdown in the playoffs again. And in Edmonton's mind, and this is also true of Colorado, not that the Stanley Cup that Colorado won a couple of years ago rings hollow to them because it's an incredible achievement and they were incredible along the way. But they didn't beat Vegas to Vegas to get there. Oh, who cares? And Edmonton. The Devils. The no Devils didn't happened, beat the Rangers in yeah, any of their cup wins. It never bothered me. I'm like, thank you, God. You don't think that you, you you don't think that what makes the Washington Capitals Stanley Cup victory that much more better is because they beat the Penguins along the way. Finally, you don't think that was part I think, of it? I, I think really they do. had to beat the Penguins to win that cup. I think they had to beat the Penguins to, to, to win that cup. I understand what you're saying, but like, if you're the L.A. Kings. And you're given the option, assuming they make the playoffs, to play anyone else in the Western Conference or play the Edmonton Oilers again. What option do you think they take? Anybody else. Exactly. Do you think Edmonton wants, like, okay, maybe they want to play Vegas. Maybe they want to test their medal. Maybe they want to do that. You know, I would not want to play Vegas. Vegas knows how to win. Vegas knows how to win against mm-hmm. Edmonton. Vegas has a goalie in Aiden Hill that we all thought was going to be a two-month sensation, and it ended up being one of the best goalies in the league this year when he's been healthy. Like, I don't... I'm legitimately concerned as a guy who is staunchly on the Edmonton bandwagon, who has picked them to win the Stanley Cup, that they're going to be matched up against Vegas in the first round of the playoffs and have to figure out a way to beat this team. Before Game 5, did you not think that this series was going Edmonton's way last year? Oh, Jesus. I don't remember last year's playoff. I remember it being nasty and <laughs> and, 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 and and gross and whatever. But, I mean, yeah, yeah there was definitely yeah, was times great. during that series awesome. I thought they were going to win, for sure. Yeah. I want that again. 
Like, you know how last year we knew, okay, here we go. It's going to be the Devils and the Rangers in the first round. We know it's going to be Edmonton and Vegas in the first round. I, now I conduct yourselves you. accordingly, both teams and fans as well. I can't wait you, for this. You have to separate. Last night makes it even juicier. You have to separate the wants and needs of Jeff Merrick from the wants and needs of the Edmonton Oilers. You and I are in agreement. It's going to be a fantastic playoff series. And there's a certain inevitability to it right now because I'm with you. I don't think Vancouver is going to fall out of first place in the Pacific. But if you're the Edmonton Oilers and you have designs on winning the cup, I don't think you want Vegas mm-hmm. in the first round. I just don't. Okay, hang on. What, 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 one more thing I want to go over here with you uh, real quick. Uh, I don't disagree with this. Uh, Alexander Barkov, uh, leader for the Selkie Trophy. Uh, I think you can make a strong case for Alexander Barkov also for the Hart Trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love that now all of a sudden, Rupe Hins has entered the chat. Oh, yeah. Finally, Rupe Hins has entered the chat. Greg was I was excited to see his name being bandied about. But the one that's really interesting is Couturier. I had a lot of people in, in, in the uh, uh, the voters like down the ballot saying, like, Barkov's probably going to win, but like Couturier's got a strong case and he's got the more interesting story than simply being the heir apparent to Patrice Bergeron winning a bunch of Selkies in a row like Barkov yeah, might know. be. Like Couturier coming back and being as good as he's been, you could almost see a Selkie de facto comeback player of the year kind of thing with him formulating. Yeah. The the thing that I like about it is of the three, there's only one good skater, and that's Rupe Hens. Barkov <laughs> and Couturier, and one, and one of these guys is going to win uh, the Selkie Trophy. That's uh, that's right. Oh, uh, Vesna, really quick. Um, interesting. You know, we would mention you know Connor Connor Halibuck for the uh, for the Hart Trophy. Uh, also throw him on top of this latest list for the uh, for the uh, f- uh, for the Vesna Trophy. Although I think you can make a really really strong case for Thatcher Demko as one well, of the de- finalists, along with Alina Solomark. No, wait, the other Bruins goaltender, Jamie <laughs> Swayman. Demko was on top of the voting for two consecutive months, and then Hellebuck just blew him out of the water in this one. But again, it's the GMs. We can never really be sure what the GMs are thinking for this award. They go by wins. Thinking wins. Who has the most wins, wins. exactly. Wins. But wins. for now, the, the voters see it as Hellebuck really taking control of this award. Yeah, he's been he's been outstanding. Okay, as of you, uh, you go enjoy the rest of your day, uh, my friend, and we will talk Thanks, in buddy. seven days. It was good catching up with you at uh, at All Star on the weekend. You be well. I know we were we were in like a the VIP uh, Ritz Carlton mm-hmm. talk to the players in front of a fancy cameras area. It was very enriching. I know. And we fit right in, didn't we, Greg? We did not seem like sore thumbs at all amongst these do you mean, cajillionaires that we were surrounded by. Do you mean how all, all the, the players and the power players. brokers were all how all the players and power brokers were all talking to each other? And then you were I, you and me were in a corner with me on my laptop and and you pattering on about whatever. <laughs> Remember when we did a podcast, everybody? Remember how you all hated us? Remember? Yeah. Uh, okay, you be good. We'll talk in seven days. You got it, man. Take care.